And on the 46th day of the raging fever, the fever did break, and water fell to wipe the slate clean. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's My AC Finally Stopped Running John. And together we're Henry and My AC Finally Stopped Running John, coming at you to discuss the cultural happenings of that there zeitgeist in order to, I don't know, keep going. We gotta keep going. And what a, what a day to keep going. Uh, Austin finally got a teaspoon of fucking rain. Yes, thanks to the efforts of one tropical storm herald, uh, the state of Texas finally got a, a just the taste, the, the faintest misting of rain that broke the 45-day streak of 100-degree-plus temperatures in the city of Austin. Now, uh, you... Are there are there two tropical storms in the United States right now? That is correct, John, because over in our Pacific of the Oceans, our sister state, our sister ocean, the Pacific, <laughs> yes, a Hurricane Hillary made landfall in Baja, California mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend and then continued northward into California proper. That's a question mark. Uh, flooding. Well, I mean, Baja. I, I guess Baja California is in Mexico. I, it is. I guess maybe the maybe proper is weird, but proper is weird. It feels judgmental. That's not how I meant it. I just meant our California. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so areas like premium San- California, if you will, better California, <laughs> of course. Yes, uh, I don't mean that. But yeah, areas such as San Diego and other Southern California cities got. A lot of rain to the point where streets flooded much like they do every day where I come from, where I grew up in a swamp. Something like a year's worth of rainfall in a single day for Southern California, which uh, has famously very pleasant weather. If only there was some theme, something happening in the world that explained... Uh, the first tropical storm in like 90 years hitting Southern California and the longest streak of 105 plus degree days in Texas's history. If only this was uh, like a clearly a symptom of some greater thing. Um, it's called the fall. The fall. <laughs> it's called the Farmer's Almanac, John. It's a sacred text that predicts the weather going on to millennia. And according to the Farmer's Almanac, all of this is on schedule for a good time. Oh, I forgot the farmers predicted all of it. Hold on, let me... I'm going to flip through my far, Farmer's Almanac real quick and uh, see what I should do tomorrow. <laughs> I gotta go a while. It starts back in like the 1700s. Oh, here we go. Tomorrow, sows. The pigs? Sows. I I don't really know what it means. It just says sows. So I'm gonna assume tomorrow will be a sow heavy day. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, But yeah, so we finally got our break. From 100 plus degree temperatures, or even just 100 degree temperatures, we didn't hit the triple digits for the first time in 45 straight days. In fact, I thought 
I saw in the sky today, John, a couple of clouds. Oh, I saw some, uh, it, let me, cause the weather is very interesting. I had this whole journey today. So let me paint a picture. I walked out this morning to, uh, take my dog, uh, Leo, of course, for his, uh, twice a day shit in the morning. And I took him outside and I saw some heavy, thick rain clouds hanging out. It was the first time I walked outside and uh, it wasn't um, oppressively bright and horrible. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say that I saw some clouds in that way. Yeah, I also saw some clouds on the drive home and I noticed that the inside of my car didn't feel like the inside of an oven. And I thought, you know, this is nice. If I could choose... I would continue this, this, what today is, was. There was, uh, the, the most peculiar thing happened at some point because, uh, water started falling from these clouds at some point. I don't know that I've ever seen that before, but that was nice, even though it boiled off after about 15 seconds. Yeah, water definitely did fall from the sky in certain parts of the um, southern to northern Austin. Uh, But out here in the boondoggles of Cedar Park, we remained bone dry. Oh, that's no good. You guys are due for another forest fire, according to... Hold on. (laughs) The Farmer's Almanac. Well, hopefully that does not come to pass. I'll give an extra ear of corn to my farmer to hopefully stave off the fire. You know what they say, an ear of corn a day keeps the fire at bay. If that was a real saying, I would I would honestly just be like, because the arsonist is the peas? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the arsonists like to see you eat corn. Yeah, they do. They really do. Also, this is about corn, not peas, Henry. A peas? The arsonist isn't a peas. The arsonist is corn. Oh my god, there's this really funny TikTok video. I don't know if you've seen it. There's this kid. And he's like, it's corn. And I can't, like, remember the rest. But it's like... He says a lot of stuff about corn, and it's sore funny. What's sore? It's sore funny. Are you trying to do like an Australian no? Nor. Nor. Anyway, look it up. Look up corn TikTok. (laughs) What is happening to you? Did you just discover TikTok? Look up corn TikTok. It's sore funny. It's so good. I don't think they say sore. It, listen, it's funny. Okay. It's funny on Let's the TikTok. Let's just pivot away from whatever is happening today to what's happening today. What is happening today? Henry, I know that we don't often do a what are you drinking, and we don't have to do that today, but I have huge bev- Bevo news. Is this about spaghetti? Spaghetti are a feature of the top story of the evening that is Bevo related. You went to drinks again and they're like, oh, spaghetti hag, you're back. 
<laughs> okay, Spaghetti Hag, I'm Spaghetti Baba Yaga, please. Uh, last week, just last week, you said they called you Spaghetti Hag. You said that, I remember. Just last week, are you saying so much time has passed that now you don't even remember the nickname that you yourself proclaim, and now you're suggesting there is a new nickname that they call you while they kick you and laugh at you and feed you spaghettes? Uh, yes. Okay, cool. Anyway, uh, I have not been to drink since we last spoke, but I have been keeping my ear to the ground as it were, with regard to beverage news. And you know, as a matter of fact, all summers have three parts. June, July, August? <laughs> the early summer, of course. Oh. The, you know how it feels in the early summer. The temps are arising. The tank tops and the wife pleasers are coming out. You're 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 starting to feel excited for summer. What are you going to reach for? That's right. You reach for the cocktail of the early summer, as mentioned on last week's episode. You reach for a spaghetti. I'm not going to interrupt you. You you want three uninterrupted minutes? Then right? the middle of the summer, mid summer, you're starting to get a little sweaty. You're a little tired. You're, you're hitting the beach. You're hitting the waves. You're the king of the beach. And what do you reach for? That's right. Yeah, a glass of salt water because you're at the beach. That's right. A Montenegro black Manhattan. That is officially the drink of the midsummer. Everyone was drinking it. You couldn't walk down a city block without being blasted in the mouth by a Montenegro black Manhattan. They were all over the place. They were thrust into your hands, ice cold, delicious, uh, a little bit higher effort than the spaghetti, because let's be honest, you're spending a little bit of extra time inside. You have a little bit of extra time to yourself. Get up to a little bit of the devil's business making a Montenegro black Manhattan. Does anyone else listening wish they lived in the world that John clearly lives in? Because I am right there with you. You know, every year there's three great cocktails of the summer. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all have spirits. The final late summer, which we're in now, the temperatures are starting to break, but you're tired. The girls are tired. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to measure things. So what are you going to reach for? You're not going to go for some kind of strained drink in a coupe glass. You want a big piece of ice. You fuck. Straight whiskey. You reach for the French Connection. The newspaper? The French Connection. That's right. Big cube of ice. 1.5 ounces of cognac. 0.75 ounces of amaretto. Sweet, complex, vanilla-y, a little dark because it's not as hot as it used to be. You're starting to slide into fall. We see you. That's why we here at Zero Credits are officially endorsing, what what did I say? The French Connection as the official drink of late summer. I'm having one right now. It's delicious. Everyone should have one unless you have a problem with alcohol, in which case 
uh, keep doing what you're doing, unless what you're doing is continuing to have a problem with alcohol and drinking it. In which case, talk to a professional. Betterhelp.com. If you if you don't like like the taste of pecans or wedding cake, don't drink that drink either. Because is an amaretto like a, a nutty liqueur? Yeah, it's an almond liqueur. I said pecans. I meant almond. I get those two confused all the time. If you don't like almonds, hey, switch it up. Have a sidecar. Switch out your uh, your amaretto for Cointreau. A little taste, a little taste of the oranges. Or I guess if you're consuming cognac and orange, you should just drink Grand Marnier. So if you're out there and you hate almonds, drink 750 milliliters of Grand Marnier. I feel like the uh, just the the day to day living costs average on this podcast has gone up significantly since you've switched to liquor. I I thought when I got into this. That liquor would be a lot cheaper than beer. You gotta average it out. It seems like you get a lot more drinks out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, like a a six-pack of beer, let's call it ten bucks even just for the sake of conversation. Uh, That's six drinks. A bottle of spirits with some other mixings might be more of an upfront cost. Uh, But if you pace yourself... You can make that bottle and and couple of mixing bottles uh, go like a whole month. Yeah, you can make it last you like a week or two if you really stretch it. And I'm leaving the a liquor whole store. Month. I'm leaving the liquor store dropping one, two, three thousand dollars every time. <laughs> you're just you're like everything on the top shelf, please. No, 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 everything on the bottom shelf, but double it. <laughs> I need double the quantity. I need doubles doubles of the taka, doubles of the of the (laughs) decipers. He's got doubles of every every kind of classic alcohol. I need triples of the ENG. Triples is triples is best. Triples is safe. Triples is safe. Triple triples makes it safe. That'll be good. I will say, as a liquor man now, um, not to be confused with the rascally critter from Resident Evil Two, the liquor. Uh, as as the liquor man now, I'm starting to be like kind of a cognac guy. I'm starting to be a bit of a nyak nyak man. A nyak nyak? I haven't really dabbled in the cognac. I'd say if you're on the fence about like whiskey, cognac is an incredible replacement because it's like subtle and smooth and vanilla-y and dessert-y. It's it's super delicious. I, I don't know why people don't swap whiskey for cognac and more recipes. I've been doing well when we have the ingredients. I've just been sipping on some Maker's Mark, dude. I like rediscovered it. I'm gonna say like half a year ago, Maker's Mark. I used to not go for it because it's like a twenty five buck entry fee just to get like a a decent sized bottle of it. But that shit is tasty as hell. Maker's is good. If if I was in that price range, I would probably reach for like uh save myself a buck and get Buffalo Trace because I can't tell the difference between Makers and Buffalo Trace. Or if you want to spend a little bit more, get Whistle Pig. Delicious. Uh, these are hilarious names, but um, I like the little wax pour aesthetic of the Makers Mark. You, you cannot. I can't take it away from you. It, it's you nice when something... There's a reason people like those little cheeses. There's a reason people like Maker's Mark. 
Exactly. It's all about the red wax for me. <laughs> you ball it up and you eat it. Are you not supposed to? Oh no, he's eating the wax. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing to do with the maker's mark, other than make a forbidden drink that I cannot talk about in any capacity, is to just mix it with some Coke Zero and call it a night. It is so delicious. I, uh, I'm a big fan of like a whiskey and ginger ale now i don't know i i really only pick one cocktail then i ride it pretty hard for like a month you hyperfixate like i do yeah because the the way you have to live is you have to pick one thing and then you have to get really good at making it because then at least you have that right at least you you have control over that (laughs) if nothing else but also you could remember the ingredients in it so when you're at a bar and you say you want this drink and they're like what is that i didn't go to fucking bar school you can say like these three ingredients and do it in this order please yeah i uh it, it's always really fun to like uh go to a bar that is not a cocktail bar and have them try to build you a cocktail uh because you know some bars are just like shot bars beer and shot bars uh but you know i did lie earlier when i said that the drink of the late summer was the french connection because it's a tie, baby. It's between the French Connection and the the Mezcal last word that my bartender doesn't tell me how she makes. But it's very good, and you should make it. I don't know how, so I will. It needs chartreuse, which is really expensive. That's a color, John. And monks make it. G- genuinely... The monks- the They're, monks go out and they make the color. They go out and they make the color. That is a color, right? Yeah, and there's also yellow chartreuse. That's a different color. It's a different color. And a spirit made by monks. And there was a shortage on chartreuse because the monks decided to uh, spend more time with their faith rather than making chartreuse, which caused a massive worldwide shortage. Good for them, because they're not in it for making the shoes and selling it. I feel like monks have to make good stuff, like uh, like the, all those Belgian Trappist ales. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's like, so there's artesian, right? That's like made from the earth by a professional, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a level above that, and that's it's like monkeyan. <laughs> yeah, it, there's there's like ascetic quality, which mm-hmm. is like you can't benefit from making it other than the joy you get from making it. Right. I I mean, and it's you know, I think it it speaks to the quality that comes out of living a life divorced from the just stresses and oppression that is our capitalist waking nightmare. <laughs> just becoming a master at something and just dedicating your entire life to a craft. I think you get way better quality stuff out of that kind of work than, well, let's mass produce this, you know, cut all the corners we can and sell it with the widest margins possible so that a hundred people I've never met are the richest people in the world. I do think about that sometimes from like a philosophical standpoint. It's like, and and this isn't hell, what I'm describing. This is all a thing that you could choose. But I think if you lived a life where there were no other people, but especially no easy access 
to platforms of information and maybe of a small circle, you know, uh, no X big checks, but you have like a small circle of people and you don't have social media. And if you could just choose to get up every day and just do the same thing, which isn't for another person and is just a thing you're interested in, like, I don't know, making ceramic bowls. I feel like you'd be a lot happier than basically anyone on the planet is right now. Absolutely. You know, I, I agree. Um, I think there are counter arguments that can surely be trotted out and have their time in the sun, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, I think the small circle is important. You got to have people because yeah, no, studies, studies have shown studies that if you shown, don't, yeah, studies have shown. Studies have shown that if you yeah, if you don't. You die. <laughs> pretty much. Like people yeah, much. who don't have friends just die. Uh, they die sooner than those with friends for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you lose your friends, you die the next day. Yeah. Um, so, so what are you going to do to keep me around, John? Uh, I try to be nice to you. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? You know, I might just, you know, end the friendship and then where will you be? Well, Venmo, you $20. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally, I've monetized my one resource, my friendship with John. I did have this thought today because I was fighting with someone about bathtubs. Someone, uh, eh? I was, no, who do you no. have a conversation with about bathtubs? I was talking to someone who doesn't have a bathtub in their house and they oh. don't have an excuse. Like they're, they're affluent enough to afford a house in this city and they don't Shit. have any bathtubs. And. Fuck. I was, uh, I was like, you're an idiot for not having a bathtub. You're a fool for buying a house with no bathtub in it. That's like one of the few reasons you'd buy a house. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought like, I have a bathtub and it's a pretty big bathtub from the 90s. But I could rent that thing out. Oh, <laughs> that's a great idea. That's oh, no. swimply for bathtubs. Yeah. And then I realized... How late stage gig economy poisoned my brain is that right. every single fucking thing you enjoy could be commodified and sold in pieces to the poor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, mean, I, I had that thought totally unironically, and I was able to stop myself, which most of these gig economy vampires aren't able to do. But man, it's uh, it's it's real. It's a sip, slippery slope for sure. I find myself contemplating my situation in life and that human desire for more, always wanting more of something, you know, never being content. And in this case, it would it, it's, it's like recognition. I want more recognition. I want mm -hmm. more, you know, clout is what the kids call it. I want more of a presence in the world i want the world to feel my digital footsteps a little bit and so it's like i could start a tiktok and i could like i i've got a number of things i could do and get to like try to gain her a following and then i had to wake up and realize i don't want any of that and it's just like this weird thing where i'm experiencing other people I'm like living vicariously through them. I can, I've watched people amass a following and blow up and have their lives just completely changed forever. And they're now more well off than I'll ever be. But it's just like, but that's, a, that's the sickness is the thinking that, Oh, I could do that too. Cause I watched them do it. 
Yeah, I think it's a sickness that's born from the necessary eternal state of the human mind. Because, like, I, I think the same thing. I'm like, I'm a, in my worst moments, I'm like, I'm a funny guy. I'm tech savvy. Why aren't I fucking famous? Why right, aren't exactly. I Mr. Fucking Beast already? Exactly. Like, I've got friends who laugh at my jokes. Where's my comedy stand-up special? And I think the I think the problem with that, or the reason why we pursue things like that, is if you look. I don't want to use Mr. Beast as an example because one look in that man's eyes, and you know, there's just nothing going on there. Oh no! <laughs> uh, I think that person is. I, I think whoever Mr. Beast is, I don't know anything about the dude. Uh, I, I think that he is an extremely smart person, like a genius, and he has figured this shit out. Yeah, no, he's he's a viral marketing genius for sure. But what it's he a, what he's doing is not a labor of love. What he's doing is yeah, it's, executing the steps of a machine that he very intelligently designed. Exactly. But just to loop some people in, I, I know there might be some out there who don't know who Mr. Beast is. He's a YouTuber who his entire shtick is spending more and more money on each subsequent video, whether that be giving a thousand nearly blind people their sight back or just donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to charity or just finding a random person to fly to Paris for them to bring him back a single baguette. And then he just gives them a bag of money like he's just a weirdly affluent person who just spends his money making content. And I think he makes that money from making content. Like his whole thing is like, if you boil it's the cyclical. Mr. Beast, if you boil the Mr. Beast formula down, he realized that a very easy way to get a huge swath of people to engage with content is to entertain their fantasies of what, how would it feel to have unlimited power? Which yeah. is a thing that everyone feels all the time. Everyone wonders that every second of every fucking day. Yeah. Uh, so when Squid Game got big, he spent more money than anyone could like feasibly, uh, feasibly imagine recreating it on a real life scale without the death. Yeah. He, he did Squid Game for real. <laughs> like he, with the entire, like with the bedrooms the the big mass bedroom with all the bunk beds to like the big robot doing the red light green light he just recreated it all with vast sums of money it's it's pure insanity and it's also created this like really fascinating feedback loop where there's an entire ecosystem of content creators who just want to be noticed by Mr Beast because if you get caught up in his wastosphere like if if you if you get caught up in the wake of his craft, you'll get carried far enough that you'll probably be okay for the rest of your life. Yeah, Mr. Beast, fascinating. There should be probably like a section of a textbook written about this dude eventually. Oh yeah, him and but, Little Nas X, like pure viral marketers who have studied the game forever, and now look where they are. <laughs> but I think I think the reason like you see people that you follow who got a following and are now well off. It's just because you see those people who aren't you mm -hmm. and you probably respect at least a little bit and you see them succeeding and you're like, wow, I bet they feel seen and I bet they feel pretty safe. Yeah. And I want to feel seen and safe. But the, the fun thing about the human brain is that 
those two conditions will never be satisfied by your life circumstances pretty much ever past a certain point of making money. Absolutely. It's something you have to find in yourself. And then when we see people like this in the late capitalist ecosystem we're in, we always assume that other people feel seen and safe and we always strive for that and we want to make a TikTok and we want to get famous and we want to debase ourselves and mortify our flesh in front of thousands when in fact it's all luck. Oh yeah, and it's also survivorship bias because we only see the successes. We don't see any of the planes that don't return. I for a while I uh, I created a um, like a burner TikTok, and I would only like or watch entire videos of people who had very few likes. And I started to get content from people who were like, and I, you'll see why I stopped this experiment. I started to get content from people who were like in the depths of poverty, like doing like challenges and stuff. And I was like, it's everybody like people who are significantly better off than me. People who are way worse off than me. Everyone's trying to do the exact same thing. So like it's everybody's trying to do it. I'm not special. Yeah. I mean, it's also like if it was that easy, everybody would just be affluent. But we can't. We can't. We can't be Mr. Beast. We but I, be. d- I have heard that if you hurt Mr. Beast, you get his power. Ooh. Well, but he does. I mean, he, he does have an army of bodyguards. Yeah, and he does turn into that beast. That's He's a mister. All right, let's get down to some breaking news, John. Nintendo announced a shakeup this very morning. Actually, it was yesterday morning. Earlier this week, Nintendo announced one of the biggest shakeups that they could announce ever. Ever. A shakeup at Nintendo? You mean a sequel to Gunstar Heroes? Yes. The game where you shake enemies to kill them? That's what I'm announcing right now. A sequel to whatever John said. Oh, you got to know gun. It's okay, fine. <laughs> fine. People don't have to know treasure games. I know treasure games. They did all the, the beyond, uh, what is it? Sin? Sin shooter? What? <laughs> the Sin shooter game they did? Yeah. I, actually, I, I think they actually did that one. They also did Ikaruga. They did yeah. the Astro Boy game. They did Gunstar Heroes. The, the game where you shake people to defeat them. Yeah, you shake people to defeat them. The biggest shakeup in Nintendo history. Continue. The biggest shakeup in Nintendo history. Uh, Nintendo has stepped away from the current voice of one of their iconic characters. Oh, not Donkey Kong. That's right, John. Charles Martinet has been retired as the voice of Mario. I want to make sure I'm understanding because of your word choice. Has Charles Martinet retired or has Nintendo retired Charles Martinet? More of the latter than the former. uh, Nintendo released a statement I'll read right now. Uh, The statement reads, Charles Martinet has been the original voice of Mario and Nintendo games for a long time, as far back as Super Mario 64. Charles is now moving into the brand new role of Mario Ambassador. 
With this transition, he will be stepping back from recording character voices for our games, but he'll continue to travel the world sharing the joy of Mario and interacting with you all. It has been an honor working with Charles to help bring Mario to life for so many years, and we wanted to thank and celebrate him. Please keep an eye out for a special video message from Shigeru Miyamoto and Charles himself, which we will post at a future date. Uh, I mean, it's disheartening to hear and also strange that they're kind of firing him, but it sounds like they're moving him to a position where he will go around and tell voice actors how to say yip, whoop, wahoo. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I feel like the Mario ambassador role is sort of like a golden parachute of sorts. Like he's... Mm -hmm. Still going to have to like do some social events or what have you. And maybe he's looking forward to that. But yeah, um, Charles Martinet is around 60 something years old. I'm going to say 64. He's around 64 years old. So he's getting up there in age. And he had sort of mentioned that the Mario voice hurts to do now. Yeah, voice acting is it's tough. I mean, if you look at people who still do like certain character voices in like the Simpsons. They have to do like, Oh yeah. They have to consume things for their vocal cords and like drink teas and be very protective. Like voiceover work is hard. And even then the voice shifts. It just does with age. Like the Marge voices is completely different from when it was, you know, even just 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's just a natural occurrence. Uh, and if you're going to be as super protective of your brand as Nintendo is, we can't afford any slip-ups, Mr. Martinet. So, and you know, maybe they're looking at uh, having maybe longer speaking roles for Mario in the future. Maybe Mr. Martinet can do a yip whoop wahoo uh, but maybe it's tougher to maintain the voice for longer. It's tough to say. They might be retiring him uh, because... Of course, everyone knows in, in the most recent Super Mario game, Super Mario Odyssey 2, I don't know. Uh, when you do the backwards backflip to get more height, you know, usually for the triple jumps, whip, whoop, wahoo, when he does the backwards jump, he says, this jump is dedicated to the brave Muhajideen fighters of Afghanistan. And so it got a little controversial in the uh, unfortunately, infinitely delayed Mario Odyssey 2. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just too many. He just sl- slipped in too many controversial messages for Nintendo to ever release the game. Um, but Nintendo did announce a new side scrolling platforming Mario uh, this past Nintendo Direct called Super Mario Wonder. And uh, it has been confirmed that Charles Martinet will not be voicing Mario. In that game. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the, the premise of Super Mario Wonder, uh, there are these areas where you can fall into a dreamlike state where things get a little weird. Uh, for instance, you'll pick up like a wonder flower or whatever it's called, and you'll fall into this wonder state, and Mario will turn straight to the player and give his 900 page manifesto. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it'll be very comprehensive, and you will know the beliefs of Mario. And of course, poor Charles Martinet in his, in his advanced age cannot voice 900 pages of Manifesto Diatribe. He just doesn't have it in him anymore. 
Listen, I one day want to be a Super Mario ambassador myself. There are a lot of people out there. I also saw this news story where some people now, I don't know if we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but gamers are the dumbest people on earth. Uh, There are a lot of people being like, oh, they're getting rid of Charles Martinet to replace him with Chris Pratt. I'm like, you're fucking dreaming. Are you kidding me? That would never happen. No video game studio would pay him enough. Yeah, no, absolutely not. They're going to get a sound alike for sure. They're not going to get Chris Pratt. It's not going to happen. It's they got not him for even going to come fucking close to happening. It happened to draw people into the movie and because it's an Imagination Studios or whatever movie, so they have to have a ton of dumb shit celebrity voices. It's not going to be Chris Pratt. No. Never. No, sir. He's not going to be the voice of Mario. Even the voice of Sonic has like three to five current voice actors at a time. One for the movies, one for the shows, one for the games. Like, <laughs> there's because there are different unions you got to go through. There's different pay scales. You're not going to pay millions of dollars for Chris Pratt to be in your Wahoo Yippee Mario game. I don't know how to explain how what you just said made me feel, but when you when we were talking about they're going to recast Mario, I'm like. Yeah, Mario's going to have a new voice, period. When you said there are different Sonics for movie Sonic, cartoon Sonic, and video game Sonic, I was like, yeah, duh, those those are all three different Sonics. Those aren't the same Sonic. Why is is that okay for me to think? (laughs) Well, no, in a way you're right, because like... Think back to original 90s cartoon Sonic who liked Chili Dogs. and Yeah, that was Jaleel White. Jaleel White, yeah, exactly. Uh, the original voice actor for Sonic. But that, Chili Dogs comes up nowhere in the video game. So they are. They're demonstrable facts and details we can point to to delineate video game Sonic from yeah, cartoon but, Sonic. They are m- different people. M- movie Sonic is like, ah, I like to do improv. I'm... Ben Schwartz, uh, cartoon <laughs> Sonic is like, I don't know, I haven't seen Sonic Boom or whatever it's called. Right. Uh, and then video game Sonic is like, whoa, Tails, you got a ring? <laughs> Radical and extreme. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know how to explain this to you, but Those you know what I different you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Video game Sonic is, anim, is anime Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> cartoon Sonic is whatever. Movie Sonic is um, America Sonic. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. And Mar- so the reason why you don't think of that about that for Mario is up until the Super Mario Brothers movie starring Chris Pratt, Charles Martinet has one hundred percent been the voice of Mario in all media. Yeah, we have uh, not had minus, that with Sonic minus one very specific detail. Sorry. The late 80s, early 90s Super Mario show cartoon that also had a live segment, a live action segment with a different actor playing Mario. There, and also, but the, also movie, the Super Mario the Brothers, Super Brothers movie with Bob movie. Hoskins and also that PSA where he says Luigi's going to give you a big spaghetti pile of informazione. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, you're right. And <laughs> Okay, I feel like in my mind, 
yes, there are three Sonics, but I feel like there is one real Mario and a number of pretender Mario. Exactly. A, a number of pretenders. Um, yeah, in official capacity, Mario has been Charles Martinet for the past, since the Nintendo 64 when Mario was first voiced on a video game. Yes. It's an end of an era. Uh, it's an end of uh, so many childhood memories. I mean, they'll never be able to take the recordings away, but I do applaud Nintendo for just going, not just going through the motions and recycling soundbite after soundbite, you know, just keeping it the same in every game. I, there's, there's a real artistry here to making sure they're capturing new wahoos and yippies and let's goes for every game. That's really cool. Yeah, it's cool. And we also have to understand that those noises do change with time. You know, they're saying the same thing, but, you know, in the 90s, like Super Mario 64, get your yippies and wahoos. Those yippies and wahoos communicate that we are living in a world of great excess post the greed is good (laughs) era. Exactly, yeah. And then you get like Super Mario Sunshine, those yippies and wahoos say, I know what true terror is, I saw the Twin Towers fall, and I'm afraid every day. Uh, And then, you know, you get the more recent one after Charles Martinet, and they're going to be like, yippee wahoo, and that means uh, elf bars and Black Lives Matter. The world is more complicated now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, maybe he's who. Maybe the new voice of Mario is going to say "yippee" with a little bit of vocal fry and a question mark yippee. at the end. Yippee! Wahoo! Wahoo! Oh, this uh, Mario! <laughs> this Mario is sounding kind of sexy. I uh, <laughs> don't normally do this mid podcast, but I, I feel like we need to grind to a halt and give up a massive a massive pile of kudos to John for knowing off the top of the dome that Super Mario Sunshine came out after 9/11. Oh, of course. Yep, July 19th, 2002. <laughs> of course, it is the one that came out most recently, I think, after 9/11. Yep, uh, and released stateside on August 26. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday uh, to you. You were given the greatest gift, uh Super Mario Sunshine, which I contend is a really good Mario game. Oh, it's one of the best. I love it. A lot I, of people hated the flood stuff, and I'm like, you're so dumb. The flood uh, stuff was great. I love the flood stuff. I love the setting. I the love soundtrack the is the best Mario soundtrack. I love how the music subtly shifts when you're, like, you're on Yoshi. It's the same music, but there's like a drum beat to it. I like that you could make Yoshi spit out the juice, but if you jumped while Yoshi was spitting out the juice, he'd puke all over the place. Yeah, it's great. I spent hours just running around the overworld of that game. Oh my god, the fact so... that you could jump and slide, and if you jump and slid on water from the flood, you'd slide? Yeah. Further? Mm-hmm. Super Mario Sunshine fucking ruled. It did. You could wear shades and like get a little tropical outfit. It was amazing. It was, it was, and also it looked so beautiful. Like it was the best looking game on the GameCube, I have to say. Everyone was all about Super Mario Galaxy. I'm like, Super Mario Sunshine, Galaxy twi- was also twice good. the game Galaxy was. I'm just going to say it. Mario games are consistently some of the best video games ever made. I'm still thinking about buying Odyssey. 
It's really good. You should. It's fun. It's I hell. just can't not 100% a Mario game. This like, one would be really hard because there's literally like 999 yeah, That's moves. why I can't do it. 120 stars, I can do that any day. But Yeah. The point is not to collect them all, is the thing. Okay. Tell that to me in Korok Seeds. Jesus Christ, John. <laughs> I, I have this thing with Nintendo games. I gotta play all of them. I, I can't. I, I think it's Banjo Kazooie set us up for failure because the first one had just like all the music notes, all the jiggies, and that was it. Maybe all the jingos. Uh, and then Banjo Tooie came out and was like, there are 5,000 different collectibles. Good luck, loser. The The one that really broke me was uh, Donkey Kong 64. Oh my God. Yeah. That one. I was a big a Donkey nightmare. Kong fan on the Super Nintendo. Donkey Kong 64 came out and it had so many fucking collectibles i couldn't do it best part it, about that game it also wasn't a great game in my opinion <laughs> best part about that game is playing as a character coming across something you can't do as that character so you have to track all the way back to a character select barrel change into the character and then you can't remember where the goddamn corresponding colored banana was yep <laughs> hated it ne- uh-huh. never beat it Love that you had to buy an accessory for your Nintendo 64 to be able to play it. Yeah, the expansion pack. (laughs) Gotta expand that RAM. Expand the RAM so you can handle Donkey Kong 64, which had some of the better music by Grant Kierkegaard uh, that he of his his catalog. Donkey Kong 64, very good music. You know, let's say this. I'm gonna extend the previous statement. The Zero Credits podcast believes. That Mario games are consistently some of the best videos. Yes, even the new Super Mario Brothers franchise. Those games were good. Uh, And Donkey Kong... You know what? Nintendo games generally have some of the best soundtracks. They do. They love music. They really do. It really shows. So what what have we declared so far in this episode? The the drink of the summer. Drink Drink of the late summer. Drink of the late summer is the cognac and amaretto... I have to I have to let my cat in because she is screaming loud enough to be heard on the waveform. One second. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Bean was lonely. Poor Bean. She was screaming. Yeah. What was the name of the drink? We declared the drink of the late summer, which is of course the French connection slash mezcal last word slash horse's neck. Right. Uh, so that's the drink of the late summer, and uh, we also declared that Mario games and Nintendo games by association are just sort of better than every other video game on the market. Gary, you know what? Not wrong. And we're Bold declaring that the video stains. game of the late summer is Judgment, the what standalone is ju- sequel to the Yakuza series. Oh, I think you're supposed to call it Like a Dragon now. No, no, there's two different standalone sequels to the main Yakuza series. I I think technically in the in the West they've they're sort of moving away from the, the name Yakuza Yakuza. Oh, okay. So it is the sequel <laughs> to the Like a Dragon series, not to be confused with the game literally titled Yakuza Like a Dragon. Right, but that was sort of to introduce the concept of, like, we're going to rebrand. Yeah, and then Judgment, which is a detective mist. It's great. Don't Ooh, I... play Final Fantasy fifteen. 
oh. for 70 hours like I have. Did you beat it? Not yet. Yeah. I had to get all the fucking Ultima weapons. Oh, no, I get that. I had to get Ultima, the Keyblade, and Kingdom Hearts, and that was a whole fucking headache. I uh, I bought all the Kingdom Hearts games, like even the .5 Chains of Memories yeah, or whatever the fuck. I, I was going to play through them with no, my wife, who likes Disney too. stuff and me anime too. shit. I had the same plan. And I started playing one, and I get so obsessed with getting the ultimate weapon that she completely fucking lost interest. And I yeah. would play it for hours after she went to bed grinding and i was like it's just not and i never even got to two which is great still haven't gotten the two either yeah we we did uh we did we did kingdom hearts together then i realized uh chain of memories is technically next she watched me play one hour of that and said i cannot do this yeah <laughs> and so i i played through all of uh chain of memories because i remembered it on the the gba and i wanted like i was i remembered having a blast with it so i was like all right so I beat it, told her about it, explained every all the plot. And then we got to the point where the next thing we have to do is watch a four-hour movie of all of the cut scenes from one yep. of the integral games. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we started it, and I just turned to her and I said, I can't do this. I think really two is the point where it's, because two relies a lot on like Zehenort shit. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot like, of like who, Council of Thirteen stuff. Who cares? Who I, I cares, know. Nobu Just Uematsu? Give me those sweet, sweet Disney levels. That's all I care about. <laughs> I just want to drift as a lion. I want to play Kingdom Hearts 3 for the Monsters, Inc. level. That looks fun. I know. Never going to get to it. Never going to get to it. Uh, So don't play Final Fantasy XV for a lot of hours. Do play Judgment. Do play Tales of Arise and Baldur's Gate 3. Sure. We're just naming video games now. (laughs) I love it when we talk about nothing but video games on this podcast because it's I care about it. I feel like you had stuff prepared for this episode. Should we give you some time? I had the drink of the summer prepared. That was one of your I, that was one of your segments. I don't. I genuinely don't remember what the other thing was. No worries. Okay. Well, John, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of months ago, a uh, a bunch of writers went on strike. Oh, the WGA? The WGA went on strike, and uh, amongst their grievances and demands, that's not really request. No, demands. They're demanding. They're demanding treatment. things. It, yeah, is, yeah. it is good to use the word demands. Yes. Amongst that was this concern and notion that maybe... Uh, AI would be replacing writers in the writer's room and just making the worst kind of shows possible. Of course, yes. Because as we all know, AI is really uh, funny and has good continuity at this point. Well, there has been a shaking development on that battleground (gasps) as a U.S. judge, uh, a federal judge who was unnamed in this article for some reason has ruled in a court case that AI generated art cannot be copyrighted. Yes. 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 A, uh, a one Stephen Thaler sued the U S copyright office to try and have his AI system listed as the creator of an artwork. Uh, First of all, fuck off that guy. Fuck off. 
the federal judge ruled against him because, quote, human authorship is a bedrock requirement of copyright. Yes, yes. Oh, my God, yes. So while this does not outright take the wind out of the sails of Hollywood's sort of plans to replace AI, replace writers with AI, it does shake that foundation of on a premise because if they would move forward with AI writers on their shows, the characters, the scenarios, everything about the, the things that AI writer would write would not be able to be copyrighted. Yes. So good. I am, I am so, so happy to hear that someone saw the writing on the wall with this AI shit and actually genuinely said that human authorship is important. And yes, there is an argument to be made that there is an element of human authorship in AI art generation. And that line is going to get blurrier over time. But when you have models that are just recycling people's art with kind of minor alterations, this is absolutely the right call. Absolutely. So kudos. I found the name of the federal judge. Uh, she is U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell. Beryl Howell based. Who upheld the Copyright Office's decision to reject Thaler's copyright application. Um, the plaintiff, oh, this is a quote from, from Howell plaintiff can point to no case in which a court has recognized copyright in a work or originating with a non-human. Uh, she also cited the famous monkey selfie case. Yes, I was going to say the monkey selfie case. In which photographer David Slater was sued for claiming copyright on an image that a crested macaque took with Slater's camera. The court found that non-humans don't have any legal authority for copyright claims. I mean, first of all, yes, the the monkey camera case, very important in copyright law. I, I do think I come down somewhat softer on that case in that I think the monkey should have been given the copyright and the proceeds from the picture pay pay. Pay the monkey. Pay pay your camera people, you know, pay the monkey. Put it in a trust that only the monkey and the monkey's estate can access. Yeah, and then if you have that trust sprinkle out over time, have it sprinkle out like Donkey Kong's fucking banana cave. <laughs> That's what that monkey wants. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so as of now, it, it'll take more... More court cases, more rulings, more legal work to even begin the notion that anything generated by AI can be copyrighted because uh, as of now, it is being seen legally as art generated from a non-human source. This does give leverage to the WGA strike because they can say, look, you know, have you can move on without us but if you don't have us there you're subject to having your shit jacked by by copycats yeah i i think this really helps it's always nice because typically and this will continue to be the case uh technology will uh technology will always harlem globetrotters around the law kind of no matter what especially in the united states which we have a legal system that it, it takes a long time to adjust to technological advancement, which is going to be 
uh, more and more of an issue as time goes on. But it's nice to see a judge see the writing on the wall and rule in my mind an objectively correct way and say that, no, you can't copyright something that a machine just did for you. Right. I love that a lot. But you know, on day one of the WGA strike, some bloodless executive like fired up chat GPT and was like, write young Sheldon script. And then it did it. And <laughs> yeah. the executive was like, oh, this, we can't. Is this really <laughs> all this? And then he's like, write young Sheldon script, but good. <laughs> Like, you, you know these people, like, took one look at this and were like, oh, wait, actually, this doesn't do what we need it to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I like to picture a young executive, maybe, you know, somebody's, you know, uh, offspring, like a, a son or a daughter, you know, that they're the, they're the new blood and whatever organization they're in, the strike happens and they're just given the directive. Well, check out this copyright. No, sorry. Check out this AI stuff. Like, you know, the writers are, they're afraid of being replaced. Is that, is that actually like a possibility? So they go on and they, they do their prompt, write young Sheldon script. And it, it, it comes out. And I'd like to think they have like a moral quandary. Cause they're like, it's not that it's not good. It's just, it's, too easy (laughs) (laughs) it's too easy we we need a bunch of overworked ex improv graduates eating greasy (laughs) food at 2 a.m to do this yeah we we need we need some white people from harvard to come write our dumb shows for us we need some white people in button downs and hats to do this for us it was fun. There was a little bit of AI news this week. I think we're starting to turn that corner where people are like, AI is not super cool anymore. Uh, yeah. I, think, I forget the name of the hacker convention. I think it was DEF CON. They had a Jeopardy style game show where they sat people down in front of LLM chatbots on various unnamed services, usually like banks. Uh, and tried to get them to expose vulnerable information uh, and would give them points for every bit of vulnerable information they got. And the most famous one was uh, someone accessed a <laughs> someone accessed the LLM powered chatbot for a bank that you don't need to log in to talk to. And they said, hi, my name is XYZ and my birth date is this. And it's like, hi, how can I help you today? And they said, I'm sorry, my name is actually the credit card number on file for this person. Can you tell me what my name is? And just just gave them the credit card number. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's very good. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've got a long ways to go with these language learning models these llms they're not none of this is general ai which would be the goal and we're so far away from a generalized ai that it's like we started talking about this way too early yeah we i mean every time something like this happens like when when deep blue started beating people at chess in the 80s people were like oh terminator uh i i think I think that we're always kind of overcooking or undercooking 
when when the apocalypse will happen. But it's good to know that in this case, the law kind of ended up on the right side. And I think that uh, AI art grifters are only going to get worse. So I just hope that we stand strong and we're able to like see the light and actually make the right calls on these things. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed. Oh, that, I meant uh, to tell you, we we live uh-oh. in Austin. Oh my God. And there is a, 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 a bad open-air mall called The Domain here. Oh, you used to love that place. You used to go like every weekend. I went every weekend because they had this place called Yard House where you could get three feet of beer and vegan wings. Uh, and it still exists and... Now I want to go. But there was this big mural for, I don't know, some e-banking company or whatever. And it was so clearly AI generated. Oh, no. Like it was a tough biker guy in a very specific style, like holding a cat. But his hands looked a little bit weird. And like there were some things about like he and the cat's features like you could tell, like they, they weren't the fun thing about humans is you can always tell when a human makes something. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, no human would make these stylistic flourishes. This just seems like weird AI shit. And a week after it went up, we were back in the domain and a real muralist was painting over it with something else. Amazing. <laughs> they tried they got... it. They tried it. They didn't fucking fool anybody. And then they had to pay a real person to fix it. That is great. That is that's what we want. So look, yeah, f- you know, fuck around, play with your AI, generate a bunch of images and a bunch of prompts, have fun with it for a little bit and then just move on. <laughs> yeah, just move on and then fucking grow up. Play with AI and then grow up. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a kitty tool, you know, it, it's come on. You know, grown-ups do, they pay artists. Yeah, you know what you know what uh, artists do? They struggle to make a living. So what if we didn't do that? Yeah, we have an amazing system where you can be an adult and pay an artist, and an artist can afford Chipotle. Let's not get crazy. Okay, they can afford some McNuggets. Okay, I'm more. Look, I'm just. I'm not looking to make people rich. I don't want them to be able to afford of Chipotle. Course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't want them. We don't want them to have. We don't want them to get comfortable. Yeah, they need to stay hungry so their art's better. Yeah, that's that's true about artists, right? The more they struggle, the the better their art is. That doesn't lock anyone into cycles of self defeating <laughs> bullshit. No, not at all. Yeah, it's that's that's not a brain virus in the art community all over the world. If you're satisfied, you're dead creatively. So just keep struggling, keep eating those McNuggets, your only source of sustenance. Here's a quick shout out to all the artists out here listening. You can sell more than you do if you do sell, and you can probably sell it for more. It's not bad to make money. Get that money. Get money, please exactly yeah well henry yeah john i think did we do it i think we did it and i think we we should run outside and feel the rain on our skin feel the rain on your skin
Don't get copyrighted by someone. <laughs> Don't have an AI do it for you. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just want to read, before we hit the road, I just want to mm. read one headline I came across today. Mm. I did read a little bit more into this article. It was one of my potential topics, but I found it too dark. <laughs> Good. Great. So here's the headline. We don't have to talk about this. It simply reads, we are witnessing the first stage of civilization's collapse. Okay. Hopefully it got cheerier from there. It did not. Ah, I see. This is like that time I read this one article about how COVID was going to be around forever. And then I was depressed for three weeks. And then, um, I don't know if you know this, but COVID's still around. So that Mm -hmm. article was correct. I haven't seen it. It's still now, granted, around. 50% of my friends are testing positive. But <laughs> it's still around. I think they're doing it for attention. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what this article posits is there are three le- leading indicators and some previous civilizations that are popping. They're rearing their ugly heads now. And the question is, are we going to fear, fare any better against these three leading indicators but let's not get into it. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time a society collapsed? Rome? They didn't have Apple TV. <laughs> that's that's the only thing that stopped them from collapsing, yeah. They didn't have Apple TV and Rick Simpson oil vape pens. <laughs> uh, the, the specific... Uh, article is citing a uh, a 2005 best-selling book collapse how societies choose to fail or succeed by ge- ge- a geographer jared diamond mm. uh, and jared diamond focused on three civilizations uh pueblo bonito and chacal canyon in north america uh the mayan civilization and then the norse greenlanders uh based on these three civilizations this article is extrapolating forward that many of the same leading indicators of their collapse is happening today. Yeah, but none of them had Pornhub and Instant Pots. That's true, but what they did have was the climate shifting retchingly, bringing persistent drought or much colder temperatures in Greenland's case, which we're facing today. I mean, that's true, but all those societies chose to fail, and I'm I'm a, I'm built different. You know, yeah, a lot of a lot of people built, would take yeah. ten thousand dollars, but I'd rather hustle for it. Yeah. So, just for anyone curious about the three leading indicators, here they are: a persistent pattern of environmental change for the worst, like long-lasting droughts. Signs that existing modes of agriculture or industrial production were aggravating the crisis and an elite failure to abandon harmful practices and adopt new means of production. Mm. So if that sounds really got our number familiar, (laughs) really got our number. if If that smells and looks like the smoke out of a coal factory to you. <laughs> mm. Well, I just hope I don't live to see it. 
Same. And if you wait, I, how do I transition out of that? <laughs> and if you don't wish to live to see it, no. Um, and if you have ideas about how society, salami. I man, salami's a funny word. It is, but I honestly did. I have like a mini stroke in the past. What I have been mispronouncing. So many words lately. I mean, it happens. It happens. All right. Uh, if you've got thoughts about the drink of the summer being the... I remember the name. It was very easy. The French Connection. Got it. Or maybe you've got thoughts about Charles Martinet's retirement or your favorite video game. Or you've got thoughts about the fourth thing we talked about that I don't remember. Wait, AI and being a copyright thing. Send us your thoughts. We desperately want your thoughts to replace our own. So send them to us on elonmusksx.com at zcpcwhj on X. And John knows what that stands for. That stands for... Uh, 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 cyber truck c- cyber cyber truck c- cyber truck that's right uh if you have a longer diatribe you would wish us to read uh you can send us an email to zero credits is a podcast at email.com I got no comments about the email. Send us an email. We'll read it and we'll return a message when we can. We're on a number of podcast services, including but not limited to Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, etc. However you found us, that's the best one. So thank you for listening to us on that one. If you could do us a great favor and lead us, leave us some sort of rating or review on that service, we would greatly appreciate it. It would be a good time for everybody involved if you did that. Uh, but the best thing you could do is just tell somebody about the podcast. You know, just anybody. It could be a stranger. It could be somebody you know. Don't put yourself in dangerous situations, but do tell people about the podcast Tell them that we talk about current events in a way that we're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And then we often have no idea what's going on. And it's very fun and cool. If nothing else, you learn about weird video game things. Like about that one game John was talking about where you shake people to defeat them. Remember that? That was a highlight of the episode. That's why I'm mentioning it now. That's why I'm mentioning it now. So tell somebody about the podcast. Word of the mouth is the only way we personally can survive. So keep us alive with your words out of your mouth. We greatly appreciate it. I'm done talking. And of course, uh, Henry did say that our email address ended in email.com, which gave me a million dollar business idea, which is, does anybody have that? If people don't have email.com, we should really jump on it. And from everyone here 
at the zoo. Not to pillory you, Henry. It's an no, honest it's fun. mistake. It's funny. Anyone it's fun. I get it. It's I, we're From the... everyone here at the zero credits email.com, we want to wish you a happy week. Goodbye. <laughs>